You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast for audiobook fans made by audiobook people like me, Andrew Caberline. Hello, audiobook fans. We're getting to the end of the calendar year, which naturally means it's time to look back at the past 365 days. And when it comes to determining which audiobooks stood out above the rest, there's no one better to ask than Robin Witten. Robin Witten is the founder and editor of Audiophile Magazine, which recently published their list of the best audiobooks of 2018. Robin and I sat down and ran through the best titles from the list, and also talked about what makes a great audiobook, how the audiobook landscape could change in the future, and much, much more. Robin is also one of the voices you'll hear on Audiophile's podcast, Behind the Mic, which you can get wherever you get your podcasts. Without further ado, let's jump into my conversation with Robin, and stay tuned to hear excerpts from some of the great audiobooks that are featured in this episode. Robin, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks, Andrew. Glad to be here. Um, so how long are you in town for again? A few days. A few days. Yeah. I'm really, I feel lucky then that part of those few days in the big city you're <laughs> spending with me here. I feel like I, uh, I've won the lottery a little bit. <laughs> well, you know, I'm always happy to talk about audiobooks wherever I am. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy to be here to do that. <laughs> yeah, you came to the right place yeah. to talk about audiobooks. For those who may not be in the know, and I don't know who these people are, but we should address them. <laughs> um, what is Audiophile? Well, Audiophile magazine is a resource for recommendations and reviews of audiobooks. And we do that across uh, different platforms. We still have a print magazine. We have an active newsletter. We have a blog, a website where you can look up favorite audiobook narrators or authors. And we have just started a podcast called Behind the Mic with Audiophile Magazine. Mm -hmm. So how how long have you been doing the podcast for now? Uh, We have been doing it for three months. Okay. (laughs) And not very long (laughs) in the scheme of things. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're learning a lot, but we do uh, an episode recommending one audiobook every day. So we have done a lot of episodes since the beginning of September. That's crazy. I feel like you've probably done more episodes in three months than most new podcasts do in a year with that kind of once a day schedule. How do you keep that production schedule up? Well, they're short. That's (laughs) how. That that helps. (laughs) We're talking about one book, four minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, you can be standing in line for coffee uh, (laughs) and you can listen to the podcast. One recommendation of a great audiobook. Mm Mm-hmm. So since jumping into the podcast world, uh, what what have you guys learned in the, the three months that you've been making it? Oh, that it's really fun and interesting to talk informally about uh, an audiobook recommendation because our reviews are have a certain, you know, they're written, mm-hmm. well-written, they're edited, there's a long process. But um, to get to the reviews written... And but to talk about why a an audiobook might be exciting just on a you know recommendation level, you know, just short and sweet. It's very fun. Short and sweet yeah. is great. I feel like there's also there are too many podcasts out there right now that are like, here's a five hour episode of something and it's like, oh man, I don't even know if I can download <laughs> this to my phone. It's gonna take up all the space. Um, so is there a particular episode you would recommend people to start with maybe if they if they're trying to jump in? Well, I mean, you should you should start with the rev- with the review of the day. Right mm-hmm. now we're yeah. in the middle of doing best audiobooks of the year. Yes. But 
towards the end of this month, we'll be back to one one review a day. And if you don't like the nonfiction title we're talking about today, <laughs> wait for the mystery title that we'll talk about tomorrow. So that's so, great too that you yeah. you always kind of switch up the type of audiobook that you're reviewing as well. Right, and we have different voices, so we have a consistent host, uh, Joe Reed, mm-hmm. but we have four uh, editors and reviewers from Audiophile, and each of us at the moment is taking a week at a time. Mm-hmm. So we'll pick five audiobooks, do one week, and then next week it may be Emily Connolly or um, Jonathan Smith, different reviewers, and we all pick our own books to recommend, so we have different connections with each of them. I imagine that that makes the production a little bit easier, too, of of having so many episodes to release by changing it up, you don't burn people out. Right. And is that like the the hot ticket amongst uh, all the employees? Is everyone trying to get their voice into that rotation, into that well, bullpen? Some of us like to have our voices. <laughs> some of us are not so crazy about having our voices and would rather be in print in, you know, beautifully crafted sentences. <laughs> did, you, did you see any of those kind of... Uh, horror story moments where someone hears their voice recorded for the first time and is like just flabbergasted that that's what they sound like? Um, Actually, our managing editor who does not (laughs) like to have her voice recorded, I had her do a test and her voice is wonderful, but she won't. She won't she do it. She that. doesn't think. Yeah. Well, she won't do it. So, <laughs> yeah. So there's some of us behind the mic and uh, mm-hmm. some of us behind the pen. How's that? Oh, that's great. <laughs> I like that. So this is a new endeavor for Audiophile, jumping into the world of podcasting, and I think a lot of people view audiobooks in general as kind of a newer media comparatively. I mean, with how old books are. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious what you've seen change in the way of the landscape of audiobooks as a whole in your time at Audiophile. Well, it's interesting because I started Audiophile in 1992. Yeah. And I was spending a lot of time then explaining to people what an audiobook was, (laughs) which got very tiresome. (laughs) What did they think it was? Oh, they, they, it, they thought it was something for the for blind grandmothers, mm-hmm. you know, that kind yeah. of thing. And, and it was, um, you know, thank goodness for libraries because they were early proponents. And of course, Harper Audio had the Cadman mm-hmm. uh, recordings, which were pioneers in, you know, early audiobooks. And thank goodness we still have many of those incredible voices. So, you know, it was early days, perhaps, of audiobooks, but it's changed so much because now there's so many more titles. It's so much easier to access them, to play them, to carry them about, to start again where you stopped. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's losing the, your place. That's the um, yeah. the technology that I think I see people have the aha moment a lot too, especially with like whisper syncing now where you can be reading the ebook and then the audio knows to pick up where you've left off too is kind of strange to me. That's strange to me. Yeah, I can't imagine why if you're if you're having a great audio experience, yeah. why, why you would need... you give that up? Why would you leave to yeah. get the end of the chapter? I mean, I I would. It's like leaving all the characters behind. I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't I understand do it. it either. But <laughs> to to each person their own. Um, so I, I feel like it is a industry that there seems to be a new g- gadget, for lack of a better uh, term. Um, there's always new stuff with audiobooks, I feel like, rapidly now. Um, so 
where do you see the audiobook market and landscape being, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, oh, 200 years from well, now? Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope that there will be many more listeners <laughs> and there will be many more people taking recommendations from Audiophile. I don't, you know, I think there's, there's every chance that it will continue to grow as an exciting uh, medium of storytelling for listeners around the world in a way that may be the biggest change. Do you remember what the first audiobook you ever listened to was? Of course I do, because I started, I was a listener. That's what got mm-hmm. me going. So my yeah. first audiobook uh, that I listened to was John Le Carre's mm-hmm. um, Call for the Dead and with the amazing Frank Muller as a narrator. And I did exactly what most people talk about doing, which is I just couldn't get out of the car. I couldn't. <laughs> Here it was, this stupid little cassette, you know, in some remote location. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't leave. And I thought, this is very strange because I'm captivated by that. So that's what got me going as a listener. And as, wow, this this uh, this medium is amazing. And it was a perform, and I recognized, I think, early on that this was a performance medium. So that you you need to just like any other musical or theatrical performance, you need to talk about that part of it, not necessarily just the script. <laughs> of course, yeah, it, add, it adds a whole other uh, element of art yes. to it, and it it allows more people's hands to get on the artistic process too. I think like there have been a lot of authors who have kind of embraced it, and I think you can hear it in their audio productions too. Just them allowing people to come in and being excited about it, I think really makes those stand out. It's a little of an aha moment. Yeah. Like, I've written this, but then someone else has taken it into a different art form. My first audiobook was actually on cassette as well. Um, and it was a thing of Greek myths. And that was like the first time I'd heard, I'd never heard a radio play before, which I guess is kind of the predecessor to the audiobook. And uh, that was my aha moment was being with my Walkman when I was like six, yeah. listening to it on cassette, right. which the cassettes are making a comeback now. Uh, I'm not sure. Don't laugh at that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. But <laughs> mm-hmm. so uh, we do want to talk about. Audiophile's list of the best audiobooks of 2018. We do. Yeah, yeah. since we're getting to <laughs> to the end of the year here. And I'm looking at, uh, you brought a copy of it here, uh, and it looks lovely on the table between us. Um, I'm curious about the process of curating this list and like how many hours goes into it. How many titles do you listen to? I kind of picture a bunch of people in like a cloudy room, like the war room, like it's Dr. Strangelove and you're all just like underground with this very important list that you're making. Is that accurate well, or totally I'm not sure. off? We're not underground, <laughs> but we sort of closet ourselves uh, to, you know, kind of try to refine the list mm-hmm. because Audiophile reviews almost 2,500 <sighs> audiobooks a year. So we wow. had to start with those, the yeah. books that we've reviewed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we have this uh, earphones award mm-hmm. that we give for exceptional audio performance. And we give that maybe maybe 200, 250 of the audiobooks will get an earphones award. Mm-hmm. So now we're down to 250. That's where we're we're looking. And I think that one of the things we try to do is find 
um, the audiobooks that are going to uh, be a great listening experience, but also a great book. Mm-hmm. That combination is very important. And it's not just something that next year we can't remember the book. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we want to be able to continue to recommend it as great listening. So those criteria of trying to find that, balancing it between uh, the subjects, we do it in nine subjects. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I probably could find 50 great mysteries to recommend as best because I'm a mystery fan. But (laughs) we have to find also, look at the young adult and look at romance and, Mm -hmm. and, um, and we're, you know, reviewing all that and, and, uh, you know, trying to look at the best, the best of the best for the year. Is there a point where you're, you're looking at maybe there's two more titles you can fit in and, and everyone has to kind of argue their point for their, Yes. For their title. Yeah, we have to have a little bit of a, of a mediation over <laughs> certain things being included or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Has there ever been like a tiebreaker you've had to come down to? People well, doing rock, paper, scissors to get Not get quite, the but list? some of the categories have like one more than <laughs> others. That was probably where we just couldn't let any of them go. Mm-hmm. We, had to have, we had to put that last one in. Yeah. <laughs> So looking at the list, I kind of wanted to focus on some of the great titles from Harper Audio this year that made the list. Absolutely. Uh, And we're very excited about all of them. And maybe starting with the fiction ones, I see that we have The Other Woman on there by Daniel Silva. Yes. Um, And that one is narrated by maybe my favorite audiobook narrator, the Hall of Famer, uh, George Goodall. Yes, George Goodall is an incredible narrator, you know, one of the true greats of uh, the industry of all time. He's narrated over a thousand audiobooks. Yeah. And what's interesting about the Daniel Silva is he, this is, I think, the the 18th uh, episode, volume, um, in in his uh, series, the Gabriel Alon series. And George has done many of them. So he, in when a when a narrator it narrates a series ongoing, they get to know those characters, even though especially the main characters. But just um, they really are inside the head of the author. So the new characters, you know, come to life in just the way that the the author intends, which is very exciting. And and um, the other woman was was one of my favorites of the year. Mm-hmm. I think feel like it has enough kind of twisty mystery in there too, despite mm-hmm. not being like a straight mystery. Right, yeah. and actually, this one I didn't think had quite as much action, yeah, crazy action. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, as some of the others, which was fine. It was a little more cerebral and uh, contemplative in ways of uh, suspense, which was fun. None of it would have come to pass. Not the desperate quest for the traitor, not the strained alliances, nor the needless deaths, were it not for poor Heathcliff. He was their tragic figure their broken promise. In the end, he would prove to be yet another feather in Gabriel's cap. That said, Gabriel would have preferred that Heathcliff were still on his side of the ledger. Assets like Heathcliff did not come along every day, sometimes only once in a career, rarely twice. Such was the nature of espionage, Gabriel would lament. 
Such was life itself. Also on the fiction list, Day of the Dead by Nikki French and The Poppy War by R.F. Quang. Nikki French, you know, is the the husband and wife yes. writing team, mm-hmm. the British. And uh, that is an also a long-running series. And I was interested that Beth Chalmers, who's the yes. narrator, ha- got an earphones from us for Day of the Dead, but also the previous title. She all It was the first one that she narrated in the series, mm-hmm. and she got an earphones for that. So those are the kind of things we think, you know, this is, this is, a, this is a lock. This is a great <laughs> combination of narrator and author mm-hmm. for the series. I will say that we go, uh, my colleagues go nuts when they realize that they've uh, worked on a production that has an earphone award. And they, when they find that out, there's a a loud kind of like cry <laughs> from their cubicle here. So so it's not just important to the people at Audiophile. We really uh, appreciate when we've accomplished that. It feels like a real accomplishment. Well, everyone yeah. should be complimented because there's so many uh, hands and voices in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people who work on those productions. It was a Monday morning. It was bright. It was warm. Too warm for late autumn. And Charlotte Beck was about to experience the one really dramatic thing that would happen to her in her entire life. She wasn't ready for it. She didn't feel ready for anything. She was manoeuvring a chaotic little group up Heath Street, as she did every weekday. She was steering a buggy containing ten-month-old Lulu. On her left side, two-and-a-half-year-old Oscar was pushing himself on a little scooter. Round her right wrist was one end of a dog lead, and the other end was attached to a black Labrador puppy called Suki. Everything looked like it was in fog. But it wasn't real fog. It was the fog of tiredness that hung stolidly over Charlotte's world for the previous six months. I also was very interested in the Poppy War. It's a fantasy based on Chinese history, I think, oh, this is a great storytelling. Um, and Emily Wu Zeller, yeah. who does uh, amazingly well with Asian themes, and you know, she really gets the history and mm-hmm. you know, builds a great story. That's one of those yeah. two that I feel like when you hear so many people talk about how good that title is throughout the year over and over, you're like, well, I guess I yeah. should pick that one up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I feel like the ball really rolled with that one. Well, that's what's exciting when you hear other people talking about a great listening experience. You think, oh, you know, that sounds so... I, what, are they, what do they mean? Then you yeah. have to listen, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Take your clothes off. Rin blinked. What? The proctor glanced up from his booklet. Cheating prevention protocol. He gestured across the room to a female proctor. Go with her if you must. Rin crossed her arms tightly across her chest and walked toward the second proctor. She was led behind a screen, padded thoroughly to make sure she hadn't packed test materials up any orifices, and then handed a formless blue sack. Put this on, said the proctor. Is this really necessary? Rin's teeth chattered as she stripped. So moving on to the nonfiction titles that we had on the list, uh, there's a big one in there for us, uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara. 
which uh, listeners of this podcast will remember that we did the mini series on the making of that book as well. Oh. Um, that one, it's a tough subject matter, but is one of those that I feel like once you get going, you can't put it down. Well, it sort of reflects her own obsession yeah. with finding the clues and tracking down um, the elements of the story. And, you know, very tra- tragically in yeah. in many ways because she did not live to see the publication mm-hmm. and yet the effect of it with the arrest of the... Yeah, that's bizarre, <laughs> uh, yeah. the timing that all of that worked out with. Um, I'm glad that you touched on the obsession aspect mm-hmm. of it too because I think that's what sets this apart from other true crime which are all the rage right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. It's interesting because the narrator, Gabra Zachman, was able to, I mean, it's nonfiction. Mm -hmm. So she can't, you know, she can't be exactly passionate about about it. But but of course, Michelle was obsessed and that passion as a journalist is different than other kinds of, of, you know, passion of a topic or something like that. But it comes across in Gabra's narration really beautifully and is very gripping. After processing the house, the police said to Drew Whithune, it's yours. The yellow tape came down. The front door closed. The impassive precision of badges at work had helped divert attention from the stain. There was no avoiding it now. His brother and sister-in-law's bedroom was just inside the front door, directly across from the kitchen. Standing at the sink, Drew needed only to turn his head to the left to see the dark spray mottling the white wall above David and Manuela's bed. So from one posthumous title to another, making the list this year, RFK uh, by RFK. We do a lot of books about the Kennedys, and this one seems to be the one that stuck out. Why do you think that is? <laughs> well, what's interesting is, of course, this is actually uh, Robert Kennedy's speeches, yeah. and I think that um, you know it's it's a it's really is a testament to thinking about the audio experience because in the production, I don't know too much about it, but mm-hmm. you could have when it was produced, you could have actually probably used the recorded speeches mm-hmm. of Robert Kennedy. Um, but how to equalize that with a narrative voice that James Lurie did and, you know, make it all be a sort of seamless experience. That was probably very challenging. It was. I I remember in that one, there was a lot of effort in trying to secure rights for some of uh, the uh, speeches. And then at a certain point, you had to realize like, well, if people want to just hear the speech, they can go hear the speech. That's not the the point of this production, I guess. Right, Yeah. right. And so having Jim Meskimen, mm-hmm. who, you know, was able to sort of channel uh, Robert Kennedy's voice in a way that he he just took the right tone, you know, because it could have been a caricature. It could have been a full-on impression as he does of yeah. many famous people, you know, he does impressions, but this was just a hint. It was just, it was just the right balance and beautifully done. Yeah, it was very um, tasteful to yeah. me as a as a performance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and balanced, just hit the right notes. 
Kennedy stepped into the public arena shortly after completing his undergraduate studies at Harvard in 1948, not as a public official or politician, but as a journalist. His reporting provides the clearest insight into his thought processes before October 10, 1955, when he gave his first formal speech, a report on his trip with U.S. Supreme Court Justice William O. Douglas to Soviet Central Asia and Siberia. Next up is Barracoon by Zora Neale Hurston. This is maybe the most interesting book, I think, that we've published this year. I put it in the nonfiction section that we're talking about right now, but it it feels like it's much more than that. It feels like a genre-bending book to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that this is one of those that the audio experience is so vastly different than reading it. I imagine. Yes. Yeah. So um, we should say, unless you've already talked about this on the podcast, mm-hmm. that Barracoon uh, was never published yeah. when Hurston was alive. Mm-hmm. And so this is newly published and probably written uh, the early part of the 20th century. Yes. And it's a story of the last slave black cargo coming out of Africa. And in a way... It's written primarily in dialect. Mm-hmm. And so when you read it, I can't imagine actually, because I haven't looked at what it looks like in text. Yeah. <laughs> so my only experience is to hear an interpretation by Robin Miles yeah. uh, of how the dialect would have sounded. But of course, she doesn't know either because mm-hmm. we don't we don't know what Hurston because she she probably invented it to a certain extent because she had to write it down, but she was hearing something yeah. as she wrote it. And that translation by Robin Miles brings it to us as the contemporary listener. You know, I just feel so strongly that was the way Hurston wanted us to hear it. I have looked at the text while listening to it, mm. uh, which is a unique experiment, almost like in tongue twisters. If I had been the person who was recording that audiobook, it would have taken weeks. And it did not take that for Robin. She is so good in Mm. that audiobook. And you know, it's interesting because as a reader, when something stops you, whether it's a word that you don't know how to pronounce or you can't figure it out in this case of, of dialect, how would that sound? I mean, it takes you completely out of the work. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the miracles of audiobooks is that you hear, someone else has figured that all out, keeps you in the moment that the author intended and, you know, brings a, an amazing listening experience. I hailed him by his African name as I walked up the steps to his porch and he looked up into my face as I stood in the door in surprise. He was eating his breakfast from a round, enameled pan with his hands, in the fashion of his fatherland. The surprise of seeing me halted his hand between pan and face. Then tears of joy welled up. Oh, Lord, I know it you call my name. Nobody don't call him my name from across the water but you. You always call him me, Kazula, just like I in the Africa soil. Lastly, on the nonfiction side, we have Beautiful Country Burn Again by Ben Fountain. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. 
what uh, what was it about this one that got it onto the list? Well, I think that, of course, there have been a lot of political books yeah. this year. I think what we felt about Ben Fountain's title was that these essay, he's really, he's a, he writes fiction mostly. Mm-hmm. So he writes beautifully. And in these nonfiction essays, you know, he examines the craziness of politics before the 2016 election. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I wonder what he thinks now. But, <laughs> but it will be a part two to the book. Maybe I'm sure, there will yeah. be a part two. But but these are you know highly uh, intellectual sort of essays about how crazy all of the politicians were and are, and no one is spared. Um, and and <laughs> somehow in the in the casting of this with Ron Butler. There was, you know, just a magic of the passion uh, and, you know, uh, thoughtfulness that Ben Fountain put into these essays, and then Ron Butler delivering them with equal uh, intelligence and passion. Mm-hmm. Um, so it made a great listening experience. I feel like Ron Butler is the hardest working man in show <laughs> business and audio book business. I feel like there must be no day that he's not in a studio recording something. <laughs> well, uh, he's just, that good. He should be. <laughs> yeah. Is Hillary freaking? Has to be with all those 08 flashbacks frying the brain pan. That previous coronation spoiled by a grandiloquent rookie who nobody gave a chance. Then he rolled her up like a mafia hit in a cheap rug. Now it's a hectoring old geezer with scribby gray hair and suspiciously perfect teeth. The kind you slide in every morning and snap at the mirror. Clack, clack. Put a tan vest and a Bernie name tag on him, and he could be one of those grizzled old guys down at the Home Depot. You ask him a perfectly reasonable question about sweat soldering, say, or flush valves. He just snorts and walks off. So looking at a few of the the kids in YA titles that we have on the list, I think this is my favorite book of the year. And it's The Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo. This is one where most of the books that I consume now are audiobooks. The few books that I still read in print, I read at night in bed to my girlfriend, like out loud. That's like Uh what we do, Uh right? And normally that goes pretty well for me. And I came home with Poet X. I was like, we have to read this one. And I tried to read that out loud and I could not do it. I just felt myself butchering the material. And I hope that that same experience that I just had hasn't stopped other people mm. from picking it up and trying to read it and stopping. I could see I could see it happening. Um, and if that is you out there listening, uh, you need to get the audiobook version and have Liz read it to you. Absolutely. Yeah. I yeah. mean, again, it's under well, she is a poet, a performance yes. poet. Yeah. So of course she does understand about projecting her own work. But the the free verse is so tricky. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, she just delivers it without uh, uh, skipping a beat anywhere. I mean, she has all the beats is really what we yeah. should say. She has every pause and every emphasis. Um, so it's a it's a brilliant example uh, and and a uh, of of an audiobook uh, performance that will last that will be a great testament to her work and also connect maybe with young listeners yeah. who otherwise wouldn't consider 
the book yeah. or you know that they're they're excited about hearing it. Exactly. Friday, August 24th. Stoop sitting. The summer is made for stoop sitting. And since it's the last week before school starts, Harlem is opening its eyes to September. I scope out this block I've always called home. Watch the old church ladies, chancletas flapping against the pavement, their mouths letting loose a train of island Spanish as they spread he said, she said. We also have The Lady's Guide to Petticoats and Piracy, one of my favorite titles just to yeah, say. Absolutely. It, it feels very nice leaving my, my mouth. And that's by Mackenzie Lee, who is a giant champion of, of audiobooks, all things audiobooks. Oh, she she is indeed and has yeah. been a, a lifelong listener. Mm-hmm. We just did an interview with her uh, for Audiophile Magazine in print and on our website. And she just started out with how she had, you know, carried around her boombox. And, <laughs> you know, that was that was the way, you know, she um, initially consumed stories. So mm-hmm. it was a, And spread it, was it great. to other people, yeah. I imagine, yeah. with the boombox, you can't escape it then right. if you're around that's, her. That's true. <laughs> but those are such fun. And I think fun for the young adult listeners and audience, but there are plenty of adults who get a great kick out of the... No, yeah, this. absolutely. Especially for for adults who are kind of in my age, because I think we have a tie to Maura Cork as a, as a narrator, because she was uh, on a lot of programming on Nickelodeon when we were kids. And I oh, think I didn't know that. for me, oh, yeah, for yeah. me, that was kind of my inroad to, to it being like, Oh, so, so Mo is, is narrating this. <laughs> so, uh, but she is, she is a wonderful narrator in her own right as well, beyond right. being a, a children's TV show sports referee. So did you, <laughs> did you think that the, um, this would, that the gentleman's guide to vice and virtue would have a follow-up? I mean, the, that, the crazy, that's crazy that, that yeah, it would. Yeah, no, I, then- <laughs> I didn't anticipate it, um, but I'm happy that it did. Yes. And I, I hope that there's more, just so that I have more really fun titles to say. That's like true, this, that's honestly. true. <laughs> I have just taken an overly large bite of iced bun when Callum slices his finger off. We are in the middle of our usual nightly routine after the bakery is shut and the lamps along the cowgate are lit, their syrupy glow creating halos against the twilight. I wash the day's dishes and Callum dries. Since I am always finished first, I get to dip into whatever baked goods are left over from the day while I wait for him to count the till. Still on the counter are the three iced buns I have been eyeing all day, the sort Callum piles with sticky, translucent frosting to make up for all the years his father, who had the shop before him, skimped on it. The last one that we have on the list is The Incorrigible Children of Aston Place, number six, and this is by Mary Rose Wood. And the audiobook is narrated by Fiona Hardingham. Right. And is there a reason, a particular reason why this one made the list for you guys? Um, I think a couple reasons. Yeah. Um, this Long Lost Home, which was the title of the mm-hmm. number six, yes. was uh, the ending of a wonderful series Others in the series um, in that were narrated by Catherine Kelgren yes. were on previous lists. And because 
I we think that Fiona Hardingham did an amazing job taking on a series that was somewhat owned by mm-hmm. uh, Catherine Kelgren, um, and yet did did her own narration, of course. But she also worked with Mary Rose Wood just to make it all a whole in a beautiful way. And I think there's a complementing work on all sides there that was yeah. that was very really great. And and Mary Rose Wood actually talks in one of our podcast episodes about the importance of the relationship between the narrator and the author and how she's been blessed first with um, Catherine and working with her and then having to make the change to Fiona and then becoming friends with her and, you know, wrapping this all up Mm -hmm. with the incorrigible children, which is such a fabulous series. Yeah, It's all, it's hard for me not to think of the entire production as a whole when listening to that one. I think it's a beautifully kind of like pleasant coming together of people. Yes. Um, Wonderful. I'm going to go listen to that episode now. I oh, haven't heard that oh, you one, ha- <laughs> but I want now I feel like I need to go listen to it. Well, it just, uh, you know, the fun never stops. I can say <laughs> yeah. that. Right? <laughs> to put it in a nutshell, Plinkst was nothing like Ashton Place. This was the sad and unavoidable conclusion reached by Miss Penelope Lumley who had recently, and oh so reluctantly, joined the household of the Babushkinov family in the unhappy town of Plinkst in Russia, somewhere south of St. Petersburg and north of Moscow. Or was it east of Moscow and west of the Volga? Penelope's grasp of Russian geography was shaky at best. So I've taken up a lot of your time today. I hope you've had a really good time. I've had a very good time doing this. I love doing this, Andrew. I'll come talk <laughs> about audiobooks anytime. Oh, good. Um, I have one more question I need to ask you. Okay. So I know that you're from Portland, Maine, and I've never been there. I really want to go there. Let's suppose that I had only one day there. <laughs> what are the things that I have to do? Well, you have to eat lobster. Yeah, well, yes. But where where do I have to eat the lobster at? Just any, are they all, they're all great? Well, there are, and and there's a wonderful um, oyster bar called Eventide. You're talking to me now. Yeah. Yeah. That that has wonderful oysters and shellfish. Um, But if you want to eat lobster, as far as I'm concerned, you ought to eat it, you know, in the rough, as they say, (laughs) which is like on a lobster dock. Yeah. Where, um, you know, you can, you can enjoy all of its sweetness. (laughs) That's, uh, is it lunchtime yet? I think (laughs) whatever I I go eat now, though, is going to be so disappointing in comparison to thinking of lobster. Don't have lobster outside of Maine. That's not a good No, that's not a great idea. Thank you again, Robin. This has been wonderful. Great. Thank you, Andrew. We hope you enjoyed listening. And if you did, why not search Harper Audio Presents in whatever podcast app you're using and hit the subscribe button. Better yet, write a review while you're there. It would help us out a lot. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back soon with more forays into the wide world of audiobooks. Audiobooks.